Welcome to the Sooners Extra Podcast, brought to you by Zaxby's, taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com. I'm Ryan Aber from the Oklahoman here with fellow OU beat writer Joe Masato here to talk about uh, Oklahoma coming off uh, the big win against Texas Tech and heading into a game against Kansas. Uh, Joe, I, th- I think pretty much everybody's sentiment right now, really on both sides of the ball as well, Oklahoma hasn't faced either a dynamic offense or a really good defense, so not sure how much we know about the offense or defense. But still, even though Kansas is is still at some levels Kansas, although I, I think obviously that, that went over Boston College a few weeks ago, changed some perceptions. These games last year, it's not like Texas Tech and Kansas were very good last year, and these games were ones where, where OU really struggled uh, to put a team away, especially defense. Well, we're talking about the defensive side right now. Struggle to put teams away defensively. So still, even though you're not going to learn everything, you're still learning some things about uh, you know how far this defense has come along. Yeah, like if Puka Williams rushes for less than 250 yards, you will see some sense of improvement from the OU defense. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's really easy to forget just how uh, much of a disaster that game was last year, late November. This was after the change, obviously, from, from Mike Stoops. and Kansas scored 40 points 40, on yeah. OU in Norman. He scored 23 in the fourth quarter. Um, to I mean, and it's not like OU's offense was great really until the end anyway because it was just 21-10 to 10 at halftime. <laughs> So, Puka uh, Williams averaged 16.8 yards per carry. Yeah, it was that was just <laughs> insane. Uh, Puka Williams, 252 yards, a couple touchdowns. Uh, and pretty sure Curtis Bolton probably still has nightmares about Puka Williams. Uh, that was just a disaster. So was the game against Texas Tech last year, which, uh, again, goes to the point about Oklahoma's defense. I mean – Yes, Texas Tech's offense isn't as dynamic as it was last year, but still just the fact that they were able to hold Texas Tech to the one touchdown and a few field goals was a a sign of improvement last week, and, and this will be another guidepost even though it's the Jayhawks. Yeah, and, and as far as them, I, I think they have faced a dynamic offense this year. I think Houston was a dynamic offense. Yeah. Derek King was still playing. They've got great receivers, uh, and you saw the results. I mean um, – they're, they're the team that gave OU's defense the most trouble. Kansas is not near as good as Houston offensively um, in Houston's pre-Dierk King decision days. Um, but you're, it, it's a Big 12 game. It's You know you judge more based off of it just because, like, like we've been saying, Kansas scored 40 points against OU's defense last year. Um, you know, Tech with Jackson Tyner, Jet Duffy against OU's defense last year probably would have scored thirty points. It's you're you're just seeing a different defense. You can't control the schedule. Coaches love to say that, but OU's schedule is very very weak coming out of the gate. And I, I this is another game where you know Kansas might be a little better than we thought, but then um, if you take out that Boston College game, they haven't done anything. So I, I, I'm not sure we'll lo- learn anything until Texas. Yeah, which. Uh you know, I got a chance to talk to uh, Barry Switzer uh, on on Monday, and I asked him about that. Just you know, how do you feel about one where this OU team is now, or really next week heading into to Texas, having not really been tested? And I asked him if 
if he ever went through a situation like that where you got to Texas and got to, you know, early October and weren't exactly sure, and Barry Switzer in Barry Switzer fashion, and I can't fully quote this, but basically said, I knew how good we were. I knew if uh, we were better than them, and I knew if they were better than us uh, every time. Um, and I, I think Lincoln Riley has a pretty good idea, you know, just how good his defense is and how much they need to grow to get to where they want to be. But uh, there's very few people on the outside that, that have a really good idea of that. Yeah, I mean, there's there's easy to think, easy things to point to that they need to get better on. Safety is still a huge issue. I think that's why you're seeing a, a wide receiver play safety and sort of look lost. But I, I think they're still going to try to incorporate Trajan Bridges more into the scheme. And then I was kind of surprised – I didn't. I, I sure didn't notice this live watching the game, but Lincoln Riley sort of beat up his defensive line a little bit yesterday in his in his Monday press conference and said that you know that's not the standard they need to set. We need to be better up front. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, talking about that the defensive line. I think it's a much about consistency as anything. I mean, we saw probably outside of the Delarian Turner yell rundown play, the the highlight of the game defensively for the Sooners was Neville Gallimore's uh, chase down of Jet Duffy where he uh, fights through a block, gets blocked again, and comes from the back end to chase down uh, a quarterback, which is pretty impressive. But I I think the consistency wasn't there, and and you wonder uh, just how that's going to look against a a really good offense. Again, I I don't don't, know that we really – you know, see that progress this week, but certainly uh, next week going into Texas, um, it'll it'll be a big big deal. Um, so they they do need to get better there. But you see some signs, and some signs that you know I, that's a play that I, I don't know that we've ever seen Neville Gallimore make a play like that, um, where he's able to be that disruptive and. Uh, and do what he did uh, there in the second half against Tech. Yeah, he showed his athleticism. It's something that we heard about leading up to this season. He's been solid. I mean, he's he's not, you know, he's not a guy that you point to after every game. And and you know, both of us said before the season we thought Neville Gallimore was Oklahoma's best defensive player. It would be interesting to see how offensive lines are blocking him and whether or not he's getting doubled sometimes. And that's the reason he hasn't been more disruptive or, or what. But um, you know, he's he's still probably the uh, him and Ronnie Perkins. I would say are the most important guys up front. Yeah. So sticking with that, Joe. Sorry, I leaned away from the mic a little bit much there. Um, who would you say is Oklahoma's best defensive player right now? I think it's Kenneth Murray, and I, I mean, I'm going to have to eat crow a little bit here. I mean, we sitting in the same room, we didn't. Uh, I guess give Kenneth Murray we didn't I mean there's no guessing about it we didn't give <laughs> Kenneth Murray the respect he deserves I suppose when he was voted um Big 12 preseason defensive player of the year but I I think he has been OU's best defensive player and I think it sort of goes yeah I mean on the field but like he is he is the leader on that defense when when you hear guys talk when you hear him talk like he is he's the most important piece on that defense yeah, I think I'd agree with that to this point, and you know we'll see how that dynamic between Murray and, and Gallimore, uh, if it stays the same, if it shifts as the game goes on. But 
I'll mention a name that I brought up before the season as a guy that I thought um, maybe got a little bit overly maligned on this defense, but it made a lot of really good plays, and that's Parnell Motley. Um, planning on writing about him a little bit later in the week and his improvement and why he's such a different player. But, I mean, the best group on this defense to this point has been the cornerbacks. Yeah. They've been phenomenal. And, you know, I know Jaden Davis has gotten a lot of attention, and absolutely rightly, rightfully so. He's been fantastic there uh, rotating with, uh, with Parnell Motley and Trey Brown. But, I mean, you just look at, you know, the PFF analytic numbers, which we talked about, uh, I think, I can't remember if it was last week or the week before, that continue to show Parnell Motley is, is one of the best in the country. I mean, you look at the, the pass breakup numbers, which there's only one person on the team who has multiple pass breakups. Uh, and that is Parnell Motley with five. I think the fact that we're not talking about Parnell Motley getting burned is a big difference from this defense a year ago. You know, not that he wouldn't have made a few plays, but uh, usually they they were there were plays sprinkled in there in the midst of you know uh, bad plays, and we just haven't really seen those. But I think it also speaks to how good Trey Brown's been. The fact that uh, teams aren't really contesting him. Uh, as much and they're throwing more toward Parnell Motley and I think as we've seen with some guys I think you know uh, Jordan Thomas was a really good example when he was paired with Zach Sanchez you saw people test excuse me uh, test Jordan Thomas quite a bit and he came through really well early in his career Uh, Zach Sanchez was the same way when he was starting out um, with those guys over there I think was it Aaron Colvin uh, was on the other side of him um, so that you're going to see that at cornerback, and I, I think it's important to sort of ride through that wave. And if you do it, you force uh, offenses to try to do different things. And I think uh, you know we're not too far from reaching that point with the with uh, Oklahoma's uh, secondary. Yeah, it's definitely been the surprise on defense, and I know this isn't just the corners, but we were talking about it after we left the stadium on Saturday. Is like, yes, the the numbers back up that. You know, through four games this year, they're they're better than they were at the same juncture last season. But you can also tell by there's not wide receivers running untouched down the middle of the field where you're like, <laughs> who's even supposed to be guarding that guy? Like, it just looks like a totally different team. Um, they're more sound. Um, they've they've been more aggressive. Uh, they've been faster. I mean, all the things that Alex Grinch wanted to bring in, and um, I thought it might take a year uh you know a, a full season and then to get some of his guys in um some of the some prospects that fit what Alex Grinch wanted to do but the implementation of his defense and more so the mentality that they've taken on from Grinch that transition has happened more quickly than i anticipated yeah it uh it, it really has we're going to take a quick break we're going to be uh right back with some more of the Sooners Extra podcast. want to remind you to be sure and bookmark RedRiverRivalryRadio.com for Oklahoma, Texas Week as we launch a 24-hour, seven-day-long pop-up radio station celebrating this historic rivalry. We look forward as we go live on October 5th, so just a few days away, uh, Joe, you better get your uh, your bookmark down. We've got uh, a bookmark. In, in preparation for the October 12th showdown, I'm Ryan Aber, and this is the Sooners Extra podcast presented by Zach.
Welcome back to the Sooners Extra Podcast, presented by Zaxby's, taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com. Once again, I'm your host, Ryan Aber, here with Joe Masato. And, uh, Joe, you touched on this a little bit earlier, talking about Trajan Bridges and the fact that they've continued to use him at safety uh, at nickel, which is where we saw him uh, on Saturday against Texas Tech. Um, I think one. I think we talked about this walking walking to our cars after after the game. I don't think we talked about it specifically on the podcast, but um, I know it was a rough go for him on Saturday. The the couple times he got in there with the penalties, but I think that's more encouraging than if you just saw him get burned a couple times. The the fact that he was. Being aggressive, you can you know you can figure out ways to dial that down. You can figure out ways to make him a smarter defender out there and, and avoid those things it, a whole lot easier than you can. Oh, you know we've got to fix this because he got burned for two touchdowns. Yeah, I mean defense is more about the attitude, and you know I, I think receivers are often stereotyped as not having um, some of the attitude that it takes to play on defense, but clearly he does. I said this during the postgame pod, but I'm pretty sure if people would have gotten out of his way, he would have been called for targeting on his first ever snap. Yeah. <laughs> um, he just kind of recklessly jumps into a pile. That shows aggression. I mean, maybe a lack of judgment, but aggression. Um, then the face mask penalty where Alex Grinch kind of said it wasn't his fault. I mean, it was just kind of got his hands in the wrong place. Um, and then the defensive holding where that was Grinch just chalked that up to him not he, being used to being on the other side of that play not used to playing defense but he said what defensive coordinator would have played a guy who had practiced for two weeks at safety and not played he said that probably no one in the country would have done that so it shows you that they want to have you know film on him they want to see him in, in game action you know I think it's an interesting to debate to see how long this experiment will last. I'm kind of on the of the thinking that it will be a one year max deal. I wouldn't be surprised if he's playing receiver by the end of the season. Um, but this is my other point. If you've seen him out there, you you've kind of cornered yourself in because at this point, you know, if he's going to be a defensive player and he's not better than say Robert Barnes, Justin Broyles, Chance Sylvie, guys who could see time at nickel is Buki's backup, it doesn't really make sense to play him. I, I Because he's reached that four-game mark, you might want to redshirt him. I definitely see the other side of it, that you want to give him more of a chance. But if it doesn't end up working, it could almost be a lost year for Trajan Bridges. Well, here's the deal. I mean, anytime you're a five-star recruit coming in, your expectation isn't five years. It's four at the max, potentially less than that, potentially just three. So I I don't think that you're, you know, because it's not like Trajan Bridges was a disaster at receiver before he moved over there. I don't think that timeline has shifted very much with him. Although clearly Jaden Hazelwood is the number one receiver among the among those three freshmen. Heck, he's a, you know their third option right now behind uh, C.D. Lamb and Charleston Rambo. So I, to me. I don't think that he redshirts. I don't think they hold him out, uh, anything like that. I think they go full bore and try to say, hey, you know, we think this guy can help us at safety now or at nickel now, uh, and then we can recruit better 
and bring some other guys in where we have that depth and, and we can uh, you know move him back to offense next year and everything will be fine. But uh, it, it, it is a tricky situation, but uh, I think Trajan Bridges is good enough to be on the field anyway. I mean, I don't think he would have redshirted if he was a receiver. I mean, heck, no, I don't he's, either. He's, I mean, he's a special. There's a reason he's on the the kickoff coverage team. I mean, heck, he had two tackles in the first uh, three games there. So um, you know, it's it's not like he's lost out there. I think it's going to be a, a work in progress. I think uh, if I had to guess, I'd say we'd see him a little bit on Saturday uh, in Lawrence. Um, hopefully he can be close to up to speed by the time that Texas game rolls around because they are going to need some other bodies in there to throw in for that one. Uh, you know, as, as much pressure and as much stress as Sam Ellinger and that group puts on a defense. Um, so I don't think this is a extremely short-term thing. I, I, I still think he moves back to wide receiver in the offseason, but uh, I, I, I look for him to keep playing and getting a chance to contribute on the defensive side. Yeah, and maybe he could be way better at, at DB than, you know, I think, because if you look at it, you know, he, he played Saturday before guys like Jeremiah Cradell, Jamal Morris, Woody Washington, like ahead of guys who were big-time defensive back recruits who, who came to OU, Trajan Bridges has played the position two weeks, and like he's basically already ahead of them. I know they don't all line up with the same position. Washington's a corner. Uh, Morris looks like he can play maybe either safety spot, maybe nickel. Same with Cradell, but... It kind of shocks me that Bridges is ahead of those guys. If if, if Saturday was any indication, yeah, I mean, I I think he is ahead of because I think you know if any of those guys were at a level where they felt comfortable throwing him on the field, then I think we would have seen him already in in different ways. You know, in ways where they get the games on the line and things like that. They haven't. That's been a spot where Alex Grinch has just you know sort of bemoaned their lack of depth. So, you know, it's a move of desperation, uh, but it's also a move of understanding that, hey, we think this guy can be a a big-time contributor for us uh, relatively quickly. I'd like to be on the – remind people of a podcast that, um, gosh, we we had to have recorded it before the season, but I'm almost positive I said multiple times that safety was their deepest position on defense. So uh, really good analysis by me at that point. Um, they don't call you the best color man in the league for nothing, folks. <laughs> so, yeah. Safety <laughs> is not, in fact, OU's deepest uh, position defensively. Yeah, no, uh, certainly not. I mean, it's it's become pretty apparent that it's, uh, it's their thinnest there as they're pretty much just playing. I mean, heck, even Saturday. It's not like they played Bridges at that spot. They were playing him at nickel. Yeah. That, uh, you know, I don't know. Until they started, like, wholesale substitutions, I'm pretty sure that the only guys on the field for the Sooners at safety were Turner Yell and Pat Fields. Yeah, Turner Yell and Pat Fields have played more snaps than any OU defensive player, and that includes Kenneth Murray, who I think is third. Yeah, but Kenneth Murray, at least they'll you know they they feel comfortable enough with Brian Mead. Yeah. We've seen him out there a couple of times. You know, I um, I think we might have touched on this briefly in the post game podcast, but it was interesting to me and, and Joe. We talked about it during the game as it unfolded. The way that they used Kenneth Murray a little bit differently, and at times used him off the edge uh, against Texas Tech, was interesting. 
you know, he came to OU as an outside guy and only played outside. Then they moved him in because they needed somebody there. He's performed, you know, pretty well overall, but um, it was interesting to see him coming off the edge. They had a couple times with Ryan Jones, I think, was lined up in the middle and uh, Kenneth Murray rushing. We saw the big sack there early that came off uh, off that set. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they continue to use uh, anything like that. Yeah, I mean, it's basically that spot that John Michael Terry's seen the most time at, that rush-in position. And, you know, Kenneth Murray was asked about that when we talked to him yesterday, and he said he loves it. I mean, like you said, he's played outside before, and who wouldn't love to sort of get out of all that mess in the middle of the defense and try to just beat beat a tackle uh, off the edge and use his speed and strength to, to get past one of those guys and get to the quarterback, which he did on Saturday. So he said that Grinch told him when he got the job that he would move him around to, to different spots. He wasn't just going to be stuck in the middle. I don't think it'll be a regular thing, but maybe five or six snaps a game he could line up there and surprise some people. Yeah, so so that's certainly uh, something to follow with, with the Oklahoma defense and Kenneth Murray. Uh, we're going to take a quick break there and come back on the other side with uh, a little bit of offensive talk and a little bit of talk about some of the, the injury situations or, or injury updates that we got uh, on, on Monday. But I'm your host, Ryan Aber, alongside Joe Masato from the Oklahoman, and this is the Sooners Extra Podcast presented by Zaxby's. Welcome back to the Sooners Extra Podcast, brought to you by Zaxby's, taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com. Joe, we've spent a lot of time talking about the defense, and rightfully so uh, for this team heading into Kansas. Let's talk about the offense some, and I, I think we need to start off with uh, some injury situations. Uh, we saw what happened with Kennedy Brooks on Saturday, a scary hit uh, on his left knee. He was able to get up and walk over to the opposite sidelines and, and look like he was moving okay. Um, we had Adrian Ely out for the Sooners. that caused some shuffling along their offensive line with Bray Walker making his first uh, career start. And then on Monday, we had uh, Jalen Hurts showing up with a, a very hoarse voice, um, was sort of fighting through some things, said he was under the weather, wouldn't give many uh, you know details because that's not what Jalen Hurts does. But uh, And then you poisoned him. Yeah, and then immediately I throw rat poison at him, uh, asking him about how great their offense has been. Um and he wasn't wasn't having it. He's he basically said, "I'm sick, and you're feeding me rat poison." Yeah, so, that's so. a real thing that happened. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really is. <laughs> I will say this: he, uh, I thought at least there. I don't know if you were up there and like actually oh, saw him in the answer. back. Yeah. So, I mean, he sort of like smirked a little bit and you know, oh yeah, sort of, sort of let us know that we, he was in on it instead of just. The stone face that we saw a couple weeks ago when when Barry was joking with him a little bit. It was a very rare show of um, humor, I suppose, from Jalen Hurts. <laughs> he, he seemed to understand that it was a joke and played along. So, making progress now. Uh, yeah, the... he didn't give me a real answer to the question, but no. I, I, one he really answered the question uh, Saturday night after the game. Um, but. Like I said, at least he showed some personality with it. I thought I thought it was a, a funny moment. 
even if it was you know sort of at my expense but uh that's all right the the question though joe i was going to ask is out of those three what's more concerning heading into this kansas game um among those illnesses slash injuries was ely the third yes okay I'll, I'll go with ely i mean i don't think brooks is a concern at all i i think that that was just a scary moment more than anything, and it looked far worse than it was. By all indications, there's zero injury. He he seems ready to go this week. If he wasn't ready to go, there'd be absolutely no reason to play him against Kansas. Ely's not a concern for the result of the game, but they just had to shuffle that offensive line quite a bit with him out. And as they still sort of are trying to figure out the offensive line and get some continuity up there. I think the last thing you need is for a starter to get hurt. And that's, we never know anything about hardly any injury, but know nothing about Adrian Ely's. And then Hertz's uh, illness is, you know, not a concern. But this is also a real thing. OU has a contingency plan in place in case he can't yell out calls on Saturday, which yeah, it came is up, just really funny to me. Came up a couple years ago in the Rose Bowl when, Baker Mayfield was sick in the lead-up to the game against Georgia. Lincoln Riley talked about it then, that they had a plan that if Baker couldn't communicate verbally, they were going to be able to get their calls in and, and make sure that they knew exactly what's going on. It would be interesting to see how that played out. Is it is it hand signs? Is it uh, you know something coming from the sidelines where everybody has a, a wristband? You know, because uh, on the defensive side, it pretty much does that. It's pretty much all from the sidelines, and everybody has to take a quick look in their wrist. I saw some interesting video that uh, a couple piece of people posted um, about players, you know, the signs coming in, and all the players at once, all 11 players on the field for OU's defense are looking down at their wrist simultaneously and are in the right spot quickly, which is a, a big difference from what we've seen last year. Not talking about defense on that, this side, but it, it would be interesting to see how that would play out if Jalen Hurts couldn't communicate. Yeah, I mean, uh, advantage Jayhawks, I guess. I don't know, but I, I don't think it'll be too big of a problem. But yeah, I mean, injury front, OU's pretty luck, been pretty lucky at this point. Well, maybe I shouldn't say that. Trey Norwood's injury was terrible, but in season, yeah, they, they could really use Trey Norwood right yeah, now. Yeah, in season though, they've they've uh, you know been relatively healthy yeah I, and um they have been so i think kennedy brooks is going to be okay but i think really until we see him on saturday unless he uh, we're talking on uh, tuesday afternoon by the way unless they he comes in tonight and talks to us which we'll see we'll certainly ask for him um and we get a chance to talk to him uh, but there'll still be some questions, I think, going into Saturday. Just, hey, let's just see him on the field, make sure, just because of how scary that hit was. But uh, I, don't, I don't, there's no indications that it's uh, serious at all or, or anything that's going to keep him out. Or that it's even an injury. Right, or that it's even an injury. Uh, correct. So, but still, it'll be something that I'm keeping an eye on. But I, I'm with you on there. I think that Adrian Ely is the sort of the biggest concern just because of the offensive line depth and things like that. I thought Bray Walker performed pretty well uh, from from what we saw on Saturday, but we'll see if they have to stick with that or if they do something different over there if Adrian Ely's ready to go um, uh, come Saturday in, in Lawrence. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it. I mean, first Lincoln said day-to-day, then he changed that to week-to-week, and then he said maybe play Saturday, but... Uh-huh. 
you know, it doesn't seem likely. Yeah, I mean, I would say unless he's 100% and you're able to just, you know, completely take off the leash, just sit him down and wait. Hopefully, uh, for, for his sake, they'll be ready, he'll be ready to go against Texas. And, uh, you know, don't take a risk of a re-injury or, or anything like that. Um, Joe, I uh, also want to talk about the, the receivers a little bit with uh, Jalen Hurts is clearly – you know, sort of narrowed in on three guys that uh, CeeDee Lamb and Charleston Rambo are, are 1A and 1B in some order, sort of depending on what defenses give you. Uh, Jaden Hazelwood has, has come become a, another big-time weapon for them. Um, we've seen some other guys get involved at times, but the the one spot we haven't seen really involved is that slot tight end spot with uh, Grant Calcaterra and Lee Morris. We've seen him make a few catches this year, but um, – Really, to this point, those guys haven't had too much of an impact. Yeah, I mean, it's Lee Morris is maybe the surprise of the season for me. Ramondre Stevenson has double the amount of receptions Lee Morris has. Ramondre Stevenson's a running back. I mean, like, <laughs> Lee Morris has two catches. Wait, am I seeing this right? No, yeah. two catches for 43 two, yards. Two catches. I mean, that's just – Grant Calcaterra has four catches. Those are both – mind-blowing numbers for me um you know th- th- those guys i'm not knocking the offense it's they're they're averaging more yards per play than any offense in the history of the w- college football universe has ever <laughs> you can say world, world. It's, it's not like there's a, mean, another offense yeah that's right the, the the world i was thinking of okay there might be other you know divisions and stuff but in college football division one in the world of that um they are number one so no, no gripes um you, you can't you can't knock their offense, but it's just weird to see two guys who are so heavily relied on last year hardly just not be involved in the in the passing game. Yeah, so we'll we'll see if that evolves. I think there's certain times where um, those guys are going to get involved more, but I, I still think it's going to be Lamb, Rambo, and Hazelwood leading the way. But you know, more and more, Jeremiah Hall's playing a, a role in that uh, receiving game as well. We saw them with the big fourth down catch against Texas Tech and um, you know we always called that Bob Stoops's favorite position when you know guys like uh, Dimitri Flowers and, and Trey Millard and uh, Aaron Ripkowski and and JD Runnels and Seth Luttrell going back to when he first got here uh, when when Stoops first arrived in Norman were always seemed to be uh, Stoops's favorite guys and that's sort of continuing under Lincoln Riley and a big part of that is because of the versatility that having a guy at a fullback, H-back, tight end, hybrid um, can give you. And uh, Jeremiah Hall talked a little bit about that on Monday. Yeah, Jeremiah Hall's really pleasant to talk to, by the way. I hadn't interacted with him much, but it was he, he gave very very good answers, very nuanced answers about the offense and his place in it. And, and you know, growing up in North Carolina, and, you know, Lincoln Riley said that when he was at ECU, didn't, or you know the ECU probably wouldn't have much of a shot at a guy like that, uh, but but made the trip down to Norman and he's become a, a very vital piece. He, him and Braden Willis in my mind were always l- sort of linked together. Um, you know Braden Willis, he, they were still in competition together. They still are, but Jeremiah Hall has sort of em- emerged from those two. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that Jeremiah Hall is the the main guy there. But the good thing about it is they can use each of those guys a little bit differently. I think Hall is sort of the complete package, which is what they really like because um, 
they can do a lot of different things with the same personnel group on the field, depending on where they line up Jeremiah Hall. Uh, but, you know, you've seen other guys that have uh, played a bit of a role there. I mean, heck, we saw uh, – we've seen Braden Willis, like you mentioned. You know, Austin Stogner has become a, a guy that's on the goal line packages pretty regularly. We saw him with a big catch on Saturday, almost scored a touchdown. So uh, – but the whole, like, overarching premise of why – that position is so important is because you can do uh, so much with the, the same group of people and, and do so much differently, which is sort of the basis of why this offense is so good to begin with because it can look so many different ways and, and present so many different problems. Yeah, I mean, it's that position, um, that, that fullback position, H-back slash tight end slash receiver slash running back. I mean, they, they really can do it all, and Lincoln loves that versatility and Jeremiah Hall, he, he just looks like a guy who can line up and, and, do, and do pretty much anything at this point. Yeah, so uh, we'll see uh, how Oklahoma's offense and defense looks on Saturday. I don't think uh, you know we'll come back a little bit later in the week with another podcast and give our predictions. I don't think uh, a lot of us anticipate this game being uh, very close at all. But uh, more challenges are on the horizon for OU with Texas Lumen here in a couple weeks. But, uh, again – uh, thanks for listening to the Sooners Extra podcast from the Oklahoman. You can drop me a line uh, at uh, through email at r-a-b-e-r at oklahoman.com or on Twitter at r-y-aber. And if you want to reach Joe. At Joe underscore Masato on Twitter, and that's uh, J-M-U-S-S-A-T-T-O at oklahoman.com is the email. Once again, the Sooners Extra Podcast is presented each week by Zaxby's, taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com. You can check out our work every day in the Oklahoman and every every day at oklahoman.com, excuse me, and every morning in the Oklahoman for the best OU coverage anywhere. <laughs>